Will you join me now in the prayer for illumination? Holy God, in days where the path forward seems obscured or fraught with danger, when the roles that we play and the callings we should fulfill may be confusing or require more sacrifice than we are willing to make, give us clarity. We come today seeking the opportunity for ears that hear and eyes that see and minds and hearts that are moved toward action and change and growth. We pray your blessings upon us as we listen for your voice. In Christ's name, amen. Verses 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companions, to help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's so good to be here with you today. This is the, the third time I've had the opportunity to preach in this church. The first time was March 15th, 2020. It was the first Sunday uh, that the COVID crisis became real. And I preached from the aisle and it went out over Facebook Live on my cell phone. The second time was here in this pulpit, but none of you were here. We were recording everything. So to be in the pulpit today with actual live human beings is a wonderful thrill. Thank you for coming, and thank you to Jenny for allowing me this opportunity to share uh, today from my faith and from God's holy word. I also want to say a, a quick word. I'm grateful that I get to take this off because I'm like 20 feet from any of you, and I'm fully vaccinated. And I just want to put a word out to you and to all those who might be watching on the internet that the best way possible to show your Christian love of neighbor is to get vaccinated, and I hope that you will, and I would seek to encourage you in that.
Now, our message today is seeking to introduce you to someone who would like you to meet. And it's these two women that Hannah has already introduced us to briefly, Yodia and Syntyche. They were women who lived in the first century in a place called Philippi. Just a side note, because I just have to throw this in there every time I get a chance. In the King James Version, there's a textual error. There was a legend that Yodia was actually Yodias, a man who was the chief jailer in Philippi, and Syntyche was his wife. And the reason why that legend came to be was because early Christian leaders couldn't imagine that Paul would put two women on the same status as himself. There's no historical basis in that. And there's actually nowhere in existence a reference to Iodias as a male name in any literature. So King James might be beautifully poetic, but sometimes they made bad choices in translation. So, Yodia and Syntyche, they were women who lived in a time where women didn't have many rights, but in Philippi, which was a Roman city of great importance, they would have had opportunities that other women wouldn't have. And as Roman citizens, they were probably educated to some extent. They probably participated in the commerce of the day as Philippi was on a major trade route, and they would have had opportunities for all kinds of entrepreneurial uh, enterprises, and they were religious women, or else they would have never gone to hear Paul preach. If you remember how Paul exercised his ministry, he would go into a new city or town, and he would usually go to the place where they would normally gather on Friday night for synagogue, and he would start telling the story of Jesus through the eyes of the Old Testament. So these women, if, if they weren't religious at all, they would have never gone to hear Paul preach. So they were religious and only were they religious, but they came to believe and accept the truths of the gospel through Paul's preaching. So they were Christian converts. And more than likely, they were founding members of this church, the first church of Philippi. They were friends with Paul. And more importantly, or perhaps even most importantly, they were colleagues of him. He says, they struggled beside me in the work of the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers. Paul didn't see these women as these little girls who work in the church. He didn't see them as lay folk as opposed to his great clericalness. He saw them as his co-workers, his colleagues, his equals in the eyes of God and in the work of the church. So if you ever hear someone say, well, you know, Paul says women must be silent in the church, Say, no, that wasn't his full policy. His full policy is Yodia and Syntyche, these wonderful friends and colleagues, these co-workers of mine, they were, to me, my co-equal in my ministry and in my mission. So these women, they lived in Philippi where Paul made his way. And it's important to, to look at, if you, if you have one of those old Bibles that have the maps of Paul's missionary journeys, to look at the places where he stopped he always stopped in prominent cities. And it wasn't just because it was an easy access off the interstate with all right turns. It was because he knew that if he went to prominent cities on prominent trade routes, there'd be greater opportunity for those believers that he would form churches with to rub elbows with and to share the gospel with others as they traveled 
to and fro. It was a great strategy. It's a great strategy. So Philippi was one of these places. Philippi had, had begun as a small little town near a spring on an ancient trade route way back during the time of the Greeks, around 400 BC. When King Philip conquered it, he renamed it after himself. You know, lots of people who think highly of themselves love to put their names on things. Philip was one of those. Around 200 after the Romans uh, took over that part of the world, they built one of their great roadways across all of northern Greece and Macedonia, from just across the coast where Italy's boot is, all the way across to what's now Istanbul. Philippi was right in the middle of that great Roman highway, this great trade route. So it was a very important place. And adding to its importance beyond the trade, beyond having good fresh water, they also discovered gold nearby. So Philippi seemingly was a first century town that had it all. They had infrastructure, they had good drinking water, good living conditions, and great opportunities to enrich themselves with natural resources. So Paul came, he preached, people believed, a young church was formed, and Paul went on his way to the next city. Sometime after, the church in its formative years began to struggle with how to best be church. What's the best way to fulfill our mission? And seemingly these two women who were leaders in the church began to have a disagreement about what to do or how to do it. We don't have any idea what their argument was about, but it was significant enough that it was threatening the very unity of this fledgling body of Christ to the point that Paul, who was way outside of cell service, he got word. He got word that this church that he created or he helped birth, that it was in trouble. And so he writes this beautiful discourse, not just admonishing these women, but seeking to instruct the entire church and inform the whole church of how we should be unified in spirit and unified in purpose. We all know the old hymn, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, our Lord. The next time you get upset with somebody about some little thing at church, about this policy or that policy or this idea or this project or another, just remember, is it really that important to get upset about or to get mad about or to cause a fuss about? Because really, we, we should really be seeking to agree upon the one thing that matters the most, that Jesus Christ is Lord and he, he came for me and for you and he wants us to embody himself in the world, that's what really, really matters. So there's a disagreement. We don't know about what, but we know it was significant. So Paul then begins in verse 4 of our text today to offer a cure. Dear church, dear friends, dear Yodia and Syntyche, this is what I, I prescribe to you as you are dealing with this problem, this sickness of disunity. This is my cure. First of all, I want you to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds kind of Pollyanna-ish. But it has a purpose. 
Molly just got back from youth camp, and I remember, Molly, when I used to go to youth camp and in my days in Bible school, the, one of the things that they would do to help us regain our focus when we would come into times of worship was to have us sing songs together. And one of my favorite ones ever was based on this text. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Marsha, I see you nodding out there. Yeah. All right, Marsha, you be part two. We'll do a round, okay? <laughs> I was going to do a round with you all today, but I didn't want to lose my opportunity to ever preach again. So That little song, when you would come in from playtime or recreation or whatever, you come into worship, would allow all the youth or all the children to have a singular focal point on that which is most important. Why are we at youth camp? Why are we at VBS? Why are we in worship? We are here to praise the Lord and to rejoice in the Lord. And so that little song has meant a lot to me and I've sung it a gazillion times. It helps us keep our focus on the main thing. So Paul starts his cure with that. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then he goes on and says this, and let your gentle or let your gentleness be known to everyone. Now, this word that is translated here in the NRSV as gentleness is a very peculiar word. It is, and I'm not trying to, to impress anybody with my Greek knowledge. I know just enough to be dangerous. But the word epikites is, is only found in the gospel about five times or in, in the Bible. And it can be translated in many, many different ways. It can be translated as gentle or mild or fair or reasonable. It can be translated as patient or suitable or as forbearance or magnanimity. Say that one five times fast. So the translators here have lots of choices of verbiage. And as I've dealt with this text over the years, I've come to understand that there needs to be something more than just this idea of gentleness. Indeed, I believe Paul has come to want us to, to exercise the spirit of Christian love through submission. Remember when Paul says in his letter to the church at Ephesus, you must be subject to one another in reverence to Christ. This is how the people of God are to get along, to not demand their own way but to willing to be subject to one another in reverence to Christ, the same idea is embodied here. So my translation is this, let your righteous yielding spirit be made known to everyone. Now when I say righteous, I don't mean it like the 1980s surfers would or the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Hannah. Not the bodacious kind of righteous, but the righteousness that is God's goodness coming out of me. God's goodness coming out of me. That's the kind of righteousness. And this idea of yielding is that which is the, the crux of this whole conversation. We must be willing at times to put aside our own agenda for the good of the body. I don't know if you're familiar with Quaker church polity. But when our Quaker sisters and brothers have meetings and when they seek to do something new, they will, they will come together all and they usually sit in a circle. And they have this policy that when discussing any issue that no one can speak more than once 
until everyone else has had the opportunity to be heard. It embodies for them this idea of the righteous yielding spirit that allows them to form unity without unanimity. You see, they don't have to have 100% for it, but they have to be at the place where everyone is heard, everyone is respected, everyone is loved, and even those whose ideas are not taken up by the whole know that they're still part of the family. Unity without unanimity. A righteous, yielding spirit. This is what Paul's hope is for the church at Philippi. This is what he's hoping for and praying for with Yodia and Syntyche. Ladies, let's find a way forward where we can all be at peace, where we can all be happy, where we can all be the church of God together. That's Paul's hope. He then moves from this idea of a righteous yielding spirit into what I reckon as a, a lesson on a transformational spirituality. And in the next two verses in, six and, in verses 6 and 7, he, he basically says, here's what you need to do. You need to take your anxiety anytime you feel anxious or upset or angry about anything. And you need to, to recognize that for what it is. And you need to use that as a beckoning or a clarion call for prayer. And in those moments of anxiety, when you're praying, always pray with thanksgiving, remembering all that God has already done. And that allows you to take your focus off the anxiety of the moment to look back and know that God has been with you and God has been at work in you and through you and around you all your life. And when you do that, that makes the issues of the day so much smaller. So that anxiety is a clarion call to prayer and your prayer is always focusing on the thanksgiving of God's goodness. You can then move to the point where you will experience, as Paul says, the peace that passes understanding. Now, I don't know about you, but when I do wake up in the middle of the night with something on my heart or mind... I would really like to have the peace that passes understanding and go back to sleep. Sometimes it doesn't come for hours or days or weeks. Now, most of you don't know my mother, but I can tell you this. She is one of the most spiritual people I've ever known. And she has probably more faith in her little finger than I've ever had in my whole life. She loves the Lord, her God, with all her heart, mind, soul, and strength. My mother's also one who is prone to anxiety and worry. And I can tell you that on countless times in my life, I've seen her come just to the point of being overwhelmed with her fears and anxieties, with her hurts, her worries, her anger. And then something will click on. And instead of just being mad or upset or overwhelmed, she'll just grasp her hands and close her eyes and she'll start rocking and she'll start singing to herself out loud. That's where I get it from. She'll sing, count your many blessings, count them one by one, count your many blessings, see what God has done. And I've seen my mother time and time again fight through tears and heartache 
anxiety, anger, by using Paul's formula. Take your anxiety as a call to prayer. Make your prayers focus on thanksgiving of all that God has done. And then as you give your anxiety and worries to God, the peace that passes understanding will be yours. I've seen it. Linda Walker has it. We can too. The recipe's here. All we have to do is follow it. Paul then continues in verse 8 of our passage. He says, what I want you to do, my friends, once you've put your anxiety a little bit in check, is I want you to know that as you live and work in this world and as you are a part of the body of Christ that is the church, I want you to accentuate the positive. And he gives this wonderful list in verse 8. It says, finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say, Yodia, I want you to give me all of Sintiki's flaws and tell me all the things that she's done wrong. And Sintiki, I want you to do the same. And we as a church will come together and see whose bad list is worst. And we'll go from there. Kind of silly. But that's the way so many people operate. Why is it that we are so critical and judgmental? And we come sometimes, even to church, ready to tear one another down. When the gospel says that we should always be about building one another up. May we as the body of Christ always seek to come to this place and come together one another, seeking that which is good and honorable and right and true about one another and about our church, that we might do God's mission work as God has called us to do it. And finally, in the end, in verse 9, Paul says, just keep it simple. It says, keep on doing the things that you've learned and received and heard in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Sisters and brothers, if we want to be the church of Christ, as Christ intended and as Paul so planted in Philippi, this is what we'll do. The two things Paul did throughout his entire ministry. He fervently shared Christ's love and truth and grace. And he sought to gather those who had received it into communities marked by unity. Let us keep it simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. This is the word of God for us today. May we hear it and heed it together.